Mama, a word that we all know, a word some of us hear a thousand times a day, and some are anxiously waiting for. It's a title accompanied by immense joy, deep loss, and hearty laughter. I'm Aubrey. And I'm Marin. We love mamas, and we love your strength and your sacrifice. We honor your easy days and the days where you hide in a closet. Because we have them, too. We know that moms need moms, and that's where we come in. And the best part is, you can show up in your messy buns and sweatpants and we'll never know. In fact, we're probably in ours too. We hear you and we want to connect with you. This is your community. So welcome to our sisterhood. Welcome to our circle. Welcome Welcome to to the the mamahood. Okay, so we are so excited to have Sarah Powers from the Mom Hour podcast on our show. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks, Marin. Hey, guys. Happy to be here. Um, we love Sarah. We have had her on. Dallin and I had her on our podcast, and um, Aubrey saw her at Alt Summit. We, I mean, we just love you. We want to be your best friend in real life. <laughs> well, thanks. I feel like podcasting is this kind of friendship, so I'm it excited totally for is. you guys and the mamahood, and yeah, thanks for having me. Um, Well, tell us a little bit about you and your family and then also about the mom hour just briefly so that we can catch up our listeners on everything you're doing. Sure. Absolutely. Um, I live in Southern California in Orange County and I am married and have three kids. They are this time of year, two are about to have a birthday. So right this minute, they are six, eight and ten. But the eight and ten are about to turn eleven and then nine. So it's this kind of nice time of year where they're like stepping stones. Um, so kindergarten, third grade, and fifth grade. Um, and we, yeah, like I said, we live in Southern California. I have made podcasting my almost full time job over the last few years. So I guess we'll get into that and in the mom hour. But I have I have been everything from staying at home full time to doing some freelance writing and editing on the side um, over the years. So I always say I've kind of had a foot in each of the stay-at-home mom, work-from-home mom, work a little bit, work a lot (laughs) from home and (laughs) over the years. And as my kids have gotten older, that's kind of evolved. Um, So the Mom Hour is a weekly parenting podcast that we launched four years ago. So in the spring of 2015, um, my co-host is Megan Francis. And um, she actually got into podcasting in 2012 and was a really early adopter. And we, yeah, like. Like, like were they even around back then? (laughs) They were. They were around. They were like mostly business, tech, or religion podcasts. Very (laughs) male dominated. I mean, it is actually, it is still a male dominated field, but way more even. And you had to listen to them. Most people like synced up a device to a computer with iTunes. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. back in those days. That's crazy. <laughs> um, but Megan had a popular blog called The Happiest Mom, which is later The Happiest Home. And I worked with her on that blog. So we knew each other from the blogging space and started a motherhood podcast together in 2015. And Megan has five kids. I have three. Hers range all the way up into young adulthood now. So when we started yeah. the show, our kids were two to 16, I want to say, like that was the range. They are now Mm -hmm. six to 21 between the two of us. So we obviously cover a really wide range. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say, you guys have been doing this forever and you guys just celebrated your 200th, right? 200th episode. It's crazy. Like your kids have grown from, I mean, I know um, Violet six, you said. So like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, she was a tiny yeah, toddler she a and baby. now she's a big kid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. It's totally true. And um, we live in different parts of the country. Our kids are different ages. And so I think, I mean, I think our vibe is mostly to encourage moms who are probably a, a couple years behind us. Although we do have moms who listen who have kids our kids age, but a lot of them are like you guys. Um, looking to see what's next. And, you know, we don't give expert advice. We just kind of talk about our own experiences having been through it. And hopefully with a vibe of, you know, you're doing a good job and it's probably all going to be okay. <laughs> that's we awesome. That. Um, that's perfect. And that, I mean, that's one of the things that I love about the Mom Hour. You've listened to the Mom Hour now, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, love it. <laughs> it's so fun. And um, especially you guys have this little... I want to say like a mini series because now you've done mm-hmm. four. 
Is it four episodes that you've done of the things we shouldn't have freaked out about? I think there are three, but you might have looked up and know better than me. I know we have, um, I know we have three. But yeah, new mom wanna... and breastfeeding. Yes. And toddler years. Toddler and starting school. You're right. You're right. There are four. Yeah. So, um, gosh, pretty early on, um, I, I think it was probably, probably my idea because I am more of a freaker outer than Megan is. She tends to take things in stride, although she will, she will admit the things that she worried too much about in the back in the day. Um, Mm -hmm. but we decided to do an episode where we shared the things that in hindsight, we spent way more time and energy worrying about as brand new moms than in hindsight, again, in hindsight, because in the time, it's not like a regret. It's not like you can say, I shouldn't have worried about that because you did. And that was all you knew. But in hindsight, you realize like, oh, that was not quite as big a deal as I made it. Or like, I just spent so much mental time and energy on this one thing, whether it was, you know, choosing a car seat or whatever. And (laughs) so we went through and shared what our things were, the things we wish we shouldn't have freaked out so much about. And that was really popular. So we followed it up uh, up with um, things we shouldn't have freaked out about toddler edition. Then we did one on starting school, which really applies. I think we mostly talked about kind of first school experience. So for preschool, for a lot of moms, but kindergarten too. And then we did one about breastfeeding. um, And that was fun. We brought in our resident new mom, Katie, in on that one. So there's actually a third voice. And we all shared just the crazy things we you know, spent lots of time worrying about um, in those phases that now with the benefit of hindsight, we can be like, oh, that wasn't a big deal. But that's the thing is it was a big deal at the time. And I think we Mm -hmm. try never to never to minimize whatever whatever stage you're in right now. I with a six, eight and 10 year old am freaking out about things that in five or 10 years, I'll be like, well, that was dumb. It wasn't that big a deal. (laughs) But I have to honor the fact that it's just part of what we do. Right. I think you can gain a little bit of perspective and, and kind of like coach yourself as you get further along, like, hey, maybe this isn't going to be quite that big a deal when I look back on this in a couple of years. But still, I think we have to leave room for that experience of being a freaked out new mom. I don't think mm-hmm. any, any one of us can't take it away from anybody else. It's like the stripe that you have to earn or the badge that you have to earn. Right. That's true. Very true. <laughs> we all have to go through that like over anxious time with every stage, yeah. I feel like. But the yeah, things I freaked exactly. out with my oldest, I'm not freaking out as much now with my younger kids. So, I mean, it does get better. <laughs> yeah, <time>. time. <laughs> and then you find something to freak out about about your oldest and it will be new to you. So you'll mm-hmm. do it all over again. You know? I know, totally. Well, I think what mm-hmm. you guys are doing is just so awesome. Those episodes were really helpful for me, actually, especially the toddler years one, because as I'm just navigating those, man, those mm-hmm. are rough. <laughs> and you have two of them. Yeah. <laughs> <Two>. <laughs> At the same time, I was yeah. just telling Dallin yesterday, I was like, as soon as we get done with something with Hudson, Henry just starts doing it yeah. <laughs> like immediately because yeah. they're just a year apart. So I feel like there's yeah. really no break from it. But <laughs> yeah, okay. that's true. I, it will be interesting. Like I, the people I know with kids really spacely close together, spacely, space closely <laughs> together. Um, I think there is a, a place where it gets almost easier. Like once you're into elementary school, like a lot of activities and interests are the same. And so hopefully there'll be that side of it too. But yeah, two toddlers, two one-year-olds. That's one what we want to hear. <laughs> that it gets easier, right? Yeah. 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 So Aubrey is just in the first year of navigating Irish twins right now. Like her, her oh. closely spaced babies are still babies. So yeah. Oh. But it, I, I mean, I there's so did. much I, good to it, but yeah, we're excited yeah. for those years too. <laughs> So we asked our community online what kind of things they're currently freaking out about. And we got literally hundreds of responses (laughs) because I think it's really easy for moms to come up with what they're freaking out about. Um, And I mean, they they ranged from toddlers who won't eat to having mom guilt and babies not hitting their milestones. And um, we'll probably hit on all of these at some point in the future. But today we've just chosen three topics out of the (laughs) literal hundreds. Yeah to Mm -hmm. kind of hit on with you and those were um baby sleep toddler behavior and screen time so I mean there's a lot to pack in there (laughs) yeah no kidding there's like a whole a whole bunch there so we asked our community to tell us what kinds of things they're stressing out over in regards to baby sleep we'll start with that one and I mean some of our favorite responses 
that we got. We'll just look at them really quick. Some of them said like sleep training, you know, tell us how we can do that. Do you have any advice on as far as that goes? Oh gosh. Well, that's a, I mean, that's a really big one. I think, um, here's what I think about sleep training. I think any one method can work probably if you stick to it. However, this is like a big disclaimer. My, I did sleep train my babies. Um, I did, there was some amount of crying, although I, I wasn't comfortable with like a shut the door and cry it out completely. So I did a more modified approach, which I think takes longer, but here's the whole thing Mm -hmm. to me with newborn sleep in particular. Um, to me, I never felt like I was ready to sleep train until my, my, and I'm talking about myself, not the baby, my daytime sanity and mental health and life were so bad because of bad nighttime sleep that I was willing to kind of go through the, the tough parts of sleep training in order, because I was no longer a functional, good daytime parent. So my Mm -hmm. sleep training for my babies was not motivated by, okay, they're four (laughs) months, they should be sleeping through the night or they're six months or, you know, it was motivated because I was suffering mentally and physically from getting up every 45 minutes to an hour after Which is four, so five, funny six that we months. Have to I did not have. Yeah. Till that point of suffering, we have to wait until it's that point before we do something about it. You know, <laughs> I'm totally <laughs> the same way. It, I kind of think it helps because Sleep training, no matter what amount of tears you're going to tolerate or if you're going to do the thing where you go in and rub their back but don't pick them up, like there's a million kind of graduated approaches you can take if you're not comfortable with like full cry it out. And again, I've, I've done these. But to me, it's, ha- it's hard. It's hard to do it. you got to be on board with your partner. you got to have a plan and stick to it. You have to be willing to accept if it doesn't work or if it takes longer than the book says. Like it's right. not really very... Fun. So for me, I didn't do it until I was really suffering during the day. And I had um, I had one baby who slept through the night kind of without me doing much um, by like three months. And I thought, well, that was easy. I'm done. And then she regressed, as many of them do, like four or five months. And so that was like almost the hardest because it was my first baby. And it was so like I was like personally offended that she had backtracked so much. <laughs> like what? Like I thought we were I, I, it never occurred to me. I knew that sleeping through the night would be a big milestone, but it never nobody ever told me that they will sleep through the night and then not sleep Stop. through the night again. It's like I thought we had an agreement here. I know. Right. Come on. Like, I was, that was a box I had checked. And so um, and then my other two babies were so bad right from the beginning that they never even gave me the benefit of that tease. Like they just slept like newborns till they were four or five months. So, okay. I had to ask though, was your baby that slept at three months? Was she a NICU baby? Nope. Okay. Cause babies just come in all different shapes and sizes. And I thought (laughs) maybe it's the NICU that helped train mine, but she came home from the NICU sleeping and I'm like, well, either it was that or she's just a a better sleeper. Yeah. I mean, she just like, she did a very gradual, like, four hours, then five, then six. And it was always a a gradual enough improvement that for me as a new mom, I thought, okay, well, I can handle this. Like first I'm getting up four times to feed, then it's three, then two, then one. And so at no point was I like, I got to sleep train this baby because it was getting gradually better. Um, My other babies never improved. They slept like newborns until I did something about it. Um, And so, and so I did. And so I think there's lots of great books and resources on sleep training. I think um, I think it's more about I, I would not recommend that new moms sleep train because they think it's the right thing to do or because they think it will um, make their babies a great sleeper for the rest of their life or because they think there's some like this, some external should. That's not, uh, I think, a great motivation for sleep training because it's so hard. And and I think that brings in a lot of feelings of doubt. I think you need to know your baby. You need to know yourself, mm-hmm. your partner, your nighttime routine. And when you get to the point like I have where the poor nighttime sleep is really bringing everybody in the family down, including your baby. You can tell mm-hmm. a baby who's not rested. They're not happy that they don't know how to self-soothe themselves mm-hmm. back that's when I think for me, it made sense to look for some structure. I also think a lot of people find a lot of help in um, like sleep coaching or like ha- like hiring a sleep coach. It's something that 10 years ago, I might have said like, what? What is a sleep coach? But <laughs> I, I'm not above hiring anybody who can help provide like the structure and the accountability so that 
you don't have to think so hard about what you're doing and maybe mm-hmm. give you some tips or some pointers or somebody to kind of bounce ideas off of. Um, I, I know a lot of moms find that really helpful. I love that because you're not trying to, you don't expect, okay, my baby's supposed to sleep right now. So I, because everyone else is sleeps at three months, so I have to do something about it. You know, I love that you're, you do it at your own pace or whatever you feel like is best for your kids. That's cool. Yeah. And I think it's also, I know we're going to talk about regression, but it's also with everything we're going to talk about today, I really recommend you kind of read up on normal development for babies and toddlers, because I think our culture has pushed down this idea of expecting a lot from babies and toddlers Mm -hmm. before most are developmentally ready. So if you have people telling you that it's developmentally appropriate for a three month old to sleep 12 hours, that may be true for some babies, but it might Mm -hmm. not be true for your baby. And actually, I think sleep training and putting some structure around sleep can be done. And you, your baby still may not sleep all the way through the night, but maybe they now have the ability to self-soothe. I hate to say Mm -hmm. it, but I had one like this. I had one that I sleep trained and she did get better and she did have the ability to put herself back to sleep when she woke up. And we did get some better, um, like some better habits and routines with sleep training. Mm -hmm. She didn't sleep all the way through the night, every night till she was two and a half. And that was just, that was just (laughs) how she was. I know. That's like a cautionary tale. Well, that's our story too (laughs) with our oldest. Yeah. So I think, um, I think we need to remove some of the expectations of like every three month old should be doing this and every 12 month old should be doing this and, and talk to your pediatrician and, and read some evidence-based stuff because you may find that like, it's really normal for a lot of babies to not sleep through the night until they're over a year old. I feel like a lot of people need to hear that because I remember totally stressing out about that. Like, what am I doing wrong and what is wrong right. with my kid? <laughs> and like, and we do that, right? We go right to what are we doing wrong? When in mm-hmm. fact, like, it's so it's such a relief to hear like, oh, no, this is just how some kids are. And if you got a bad sleeper, maybe you got an easy kid to potty train or maybe you got an easy right. teenager. That's how I always like to think about it like it all evens out. <laughs> I don't know how, but I feel like, OK, well. Somewhere this is shaved off of somewhere else where I got an easier. You know, I totally feel that way sleeper, too. But a it good helps. eater or whatever. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. They're yeah. not. They can't be bad in everything, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> um. Yeah, and then that regression, like you brought up, this I struggle with so uh. bad, and and we. This was probably the most common thing when we asked, "What things are you dealing with with sleep?" Is like, "What the heck? Why are we regressing at eighteen months? This doesn't make mm. any sense." And I remember feeling like, "Okay, um, I guess my kid is just like." I, is is are they never going to sleep through the night again? Did they just overcome sleeping through the night and now it's over? Right. You know. Well, I will say they will sleep through the night again. As much as they, <laughs> as much as a regression, like I said, it feels like a like a personal insult almost. Like you're like, how could you do this to me? <laughs> um, I think, in my experience, some kids are just more sensitive when it comes to sleep, and that may be the kid that's a bad sleeper when they're a baby. They might regress when they're a toddler might have bad dreams or sleepwalk when they're a big kid and they might have trouble falling asleep when they're a teenager. And this is from talking to lots of moms. This is just true in the same way that you have some kids that are a little harder to feed because they're pickier about this and they their stomach gets upset with this. And so if you sort of like accept the kids that you're given and say, okay, (laughs) sleep maybe for this kid is always going to be a challenge. So what can what systems can I put in place and what routines and what self-care for myself can I put in place so that you know we're always aiming for good sleep habits but we're not expecting perfection I think those are like two different things like Mm. I you guys know if you listen to the mom hour I'm like very structured I'm very routine oriented but that's because it makes that's because it like kind of creates a calm for me as a mom I don't expect that all of that routine and structure is going to result in perfect sleepers or perfect eaters or perfect you know, homework doers or whatever the thing is. So I think sometimes it's about lowering our expectations. I do think that regression in toddlers and preschoolers is so much more psychological, right? It's Mm -hmm. so much more behavioral with a newborn. You're really just, you just need them to sleep and you just need them (laughs) to figure out how to like put themselves back to sleep. There's not Mm -hmm. so much um, behavioral psychology going into it. Whereas the 18 month old or the three-year-old can really like you can be going round and round in circles about I need another glass of water or I'm afraid and there's nighttime fears and there's all kinds of things that go into that. And um, I mean, 
I don't know if I have answers to that so much as solidarity. Um, I think one one tip I always give is to <laughs> nominate the least desirable parent to do the frustrating <laughs> part of night waking. So if a kid is really wants mommy or is really got mommy wrapped around their little finger when it comes to waking up at night, mm-hmm. then you can make daddy the like the de facto because then you're responding and you're responding to their fears and you're you're making sure they feel heard and understood, but you're not such a good idea. You're not rewarding them with the one they really want. So we've used that over and over again. (laughs) It's like, okay, you can have a parent come check on you or come tuck you in again, but it's not not going to be be the the least favorite one. (laughs) Yeah, it is. I use that strategy all the time with my big kids even. And I will sometimes say when I tuck them in, okay, if there's any calling out, that's what we say. Like if you're calling out tonight, it's going to be dad because mom's mm-hmm. on a break. And then they're like, oh, it's not really, it's not really worth it. <laughs> that's so, that is so smart. I love that so much. <laughs> that's um, a total mom hack right there. I'm writing that one down. <laughs> yeah, 100%. All right. And I don't mean to say that all dads are the least um, desirable parent because sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes yeah, I feel they want like daddy I am. And, like maybe they want. Yeah. <laughs> maybe I should go in there. <laughs> yeah. Oh dang it! I know. <laughs> um, I remember one time our pediatrician said something to me because my my kid was doing the same thing. He was two and a half and not sleeping through the night, and I was like, "What is wrong? He still wakes up." once or twice every single night and she just said don't you wake up in the night sometimes like mm-hmm. don't you have restful sleep don't you wake up to go to the bathroom or wake up because you're thirsty or you just like have a disturbing dream or something and then you go back to sleep and you know how to get yourself back to sleep and that just changed my perspective because I was just yeah I just realized oh, okay they do they're doing what I'm doing but they just totally. need my help to kind of figure it out yep. and and help them through what I already know how to do and that really exactly. changed it for me. <laughs> totally. Yeah, that's that's a that's a really great point. And I think that's true all the way from little babies up through big kids. And so if you think about like sleep being a skill that you're teaching them over time, just like you're teaching them to talk and to write their name, it's you're it's an it's an acquired skill. It's not like it's not like something that is uh, it's not a light switch that gets flipped on or off. Like you were saying, Marin, where like mm-hmm. they sleep through the night and then they don't. So that so it's broken. Um, I think it's more of more of a skill set. And that is why I sleep trained my babies and why why I did try to have some structure because I wanted them to have those skills. But at the same time, with some kids, you, you just can't expect it to play out perfectly. It's so true. I completely agree. Um, so the, the most the other most common answer we got and this might have been our most common answer of all of like the things that moms are stressing out about was SIDS and just this fear Mm -hmm. of something terrible happening to our kids in the night. I mean, we all live in constant fear of this to the point where they could be sleeping fine through the night and I'm waking myself up, right? (laughs) (laughs) To check on them. So what what are your thoughts on this or like your words of encouragement for the moms that are freaking out about this? Because obviously you're past the point of SIDS now. With your kids, I am, but but it doesn't go away. That the ability to imagine the unthinkable happening mm-hmm. to your baby and your kids does not go away. You know, I think I would say a couple of things. One that brand new moms and the postpartum period is um, like just rife with opportunities for our own anxieties to get the better of us, and that's everything from you know some basic you know baby blues and normal worries to full blown postpartum mood disorders like depression and anxiety. And I'm not saying that the mom who worries about SIDS has postpartum anxiety necessarily, Mm -hmm. but um, I do think that babies in general are safer than they've ever been. We have more, we have more knowledge and tools to keep our babies safe than we ever have. Um, So I think I would say to moms whose worries are keeping them up at night that to really take a look at um, their own their own self-care and their own coping mechanisms to ha- with those worries. Because of course we all have the worries, right? right? When they start to get in the way of our ability to enjoy our kids and enjoy our baby and feel good during the day. Um, I think that's when it's, it's, uh, uh, it can be time to look into our own anxieties. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. yeah. I love that so much. No, I think, and there's lots of ways to do that. So I'm not telling everybody to run out and get therapy or get medication, but talk to your pediatrician so you understand the the real risks and the relative risk 
um, and talk to other moms, listen to podcasts that kind of normalize those fears Mm -hmm. so that you can separate actual risk from what might be a little bit of your own fears and anxieties running away with you a little bit and just know that there are, there are tools to help with that. I love that. What, what podcasts would you recommend as far as that goes? I mean, just listening to other mom podcasts about it or what, what are you referring to on that? Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. Um, actually we did an interview on the mom hour with an author named Kate Rope who wrote a book called strong as a mother, which is about, Mm -hmm. it's about taking care of ourselves as new moms. It's not just about postpartum mood disorders, but it is a powerful, if you're interested at all in what happens chemically to the brain in that postpartum period and why we all feel a little bit like just unmoored from our (laughs) rate. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, that is a great interview. And then in your show notes, if I think of anything as we talk, we can link up um, some resources as well. But that would be a good one to listen to just because she's a fantastic resource and her book is great. And then in terms of um, entire podcast devoted to maternal mental health, I'll have to think on that. But I think anything that makes you feel less alone and like your worries are normal and also that you are you have there's support for you to deal with them if they're becoming too much, I think is great. And that can come in a lot of forms. I love that. I actually suffer from postpartum anxiety. So I'm like totally soaking in everything you're saying and writing yeah. notes over here. <laughs> I know yeah. we're like well, right I- in this right now. So <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Well, I feel like we could talk about sleep for literally another hour. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but let's move on to, to toddler behavior. Um, some of my favorite responses, or I guess just the ones that I feel like resonated the most with the overall feeling <laughs> we were getting were... I feel like I need an anger management class for my three-year-old. My toddler gets mad so easily and yells all the time. How do I help him become a nice person? (laughs) Pushing, shoving, overall meanness. It stresses me out so much. How do I make it stop? Um, And I can relate to these right now. We've recently had this pop up with our boys. Like they've suddenly started getting aggressive with each other. And I'm like, are they just going to be mean to each other? So I feel like this is just... I mean, is this what, what What do you have to say about this? Is violent, loud anger behavior going to go away on its own? Should we be worried about it? What would you what would you say about this? <laughs> yeah. So I think I'd start almost similarly with sleep, which is um, find a trusted resource or your pediatrician on what is what is typical developmental behaviors with social emotional stuff for toddlers. And I think you will find that, yes, it is all normal. Now, there's like a huge range of how that plays out. Some kids do get aggressive or violent or have a lot of anger. Some, some it manifests different ways by crying or tantruming or even being withdrawn or shy. But kids at this age are like a bundle of emotions, right? And I think one of the things that has helped me over the years is separating um, emotions from behavior. And that what I mean by that is... I always want my kids to know that their big feelings are okay, even the ugly feelings, even being super, super mad at someone you love or, you know, Mm -hmm. so mad that you want to punch or kick something or, you know, so sad that you want to lie down on the floor and cry for an hour that those big emotions, it's, it's actually really healthy for people of all ages, but in particular, when they don't have the communication skills or the other, you know, coping skills, it's really, I think, important and healthy for them to know that those feelings are okay and those feelings don't make them bad. Sometimes kids get afraid. They, no, I always tell moms, like, no kid wants to lose control and have a tantrum in the middle of Target. Like, a kid does not wake up in the morning and think <laughs> that would be fun. They are struggling in that moment. Right. So I think as moms, if we can, I always, like, my mantra, it's not really a mantra because I'm saying it here for the first time, but if there mm-hmm. was a mantra, it would be to allow the emotions and then set limits on the behavior. Now, that looks different as kids get older. So setting a limit on behavior would mean you can be really, really mad at your brother or at me or at your dad, but you may not hit because in our family, we don't hit. So there, mm-hmm. you're separating the emotions that are not only okay, but welcome. Because if they can't have big feelings in the safety of their home, where where can can they they? have them? Mm -hmm. Right. So the the big emotions are okay. And even the display of big emotions, like tears are okay. Now, if you're screaming in my ear and and I'm holding you and you're screaming so hard that my ear hurts, well, now that's a behavior (laughs) that I need to set a limit because 
I don't want you to hurt me. Right. So I, <laughs> I don't can say my hearing. Yeah. Right. So I can say I need to put you down because the screaming is too loud for my ear. But I'm right here and I understand how upset you are. And if I can rub your back or sit with you or if you can quiet your volume a little bit, then I can pick you back up and I can hold you. So I'm not punishing a kid for having a tantrum, but I am still setting a limit because I don't want him to scream in my ear. I don't want him to Mm -hmm. hit me while I'm holding him. So that has always been a helpful distinction to me. As kids get older, then then the limits on behavior can even get more, you can have higher expectations for what is acceptable behavior. And you can always say that behavior is not acceptable, but at the same time, you're allowing the big feelings. So that's that's kind of been helpful for me um, with toddlers. In terms of the question, are they always going to be like this? I mean, I feel like the blanket answer is no for everything, for sleep, for toddler behavior. Like it, it, there's so many phases they go in and out of. And just when you think a kid's going to be like this forever, they're not going to sleep through the night ever. The two brothers will never, ever get along. Um, I think all you have to do is talk to moms of adult kids, right? Like ask <laughs> moms true. of adult kids what their kids were like as littles. And and it's it's amazing. It's really inspiring, I think, to hear kid transformation stories. My daughter was super, mm. super shy and reserved until she was five or six. I mean, not just when she was a little toddler hmm. and is so outgoing now. So like I talk to more seasoned moms and and hear the stories of of kids who came out of those those hmm. phases, I think is just always really helpful. I love that too, because I used to take tantrums so personally. Like I've done <laughs> all these things for you and now you're sitting here giving me the yeah. hardest time in the middle of yeah. Target or whatever it is. And yeah. I think how you responded, like in that example you were talking about with your kid yelling in your ear, I just think you're you're setting your personal feelings aside and you're being really just what's the word like stoic like not giving any emotion your own emotions to it and you're just allowing yourself to not take it personally you're just helping them get through the tantrum and it's nothing on you it's just no it's nothing (laughs) on you and I actually think that really helps with public parenting like if you're having a tantrum if your kid is having a tantrum in public now I'm not going to say I've never lost my temper in public with my kids because I totally have. But if you think about what if you if you see a kid just losing their mind, and a parent who is lovingly there but kind of detached, like just like yeah. you know not ignoring it with steam coming out of their ears, but like just kind of like, well, this is happening. <laughs> like that's the mom we all aspire to be, right? Uh-huh. Like whereas like if you see a mom screaming at her kid in the target and the kid is screaming, that mom is having a hard time, right? So like the person having the tantrum is having a hard time. The kid is having a hard time. That's another one. I didn't make this up, but somebody else said it. Like if you can reframe like my kid is giving me a hard time and turn that into my kid is having a hard time and needs my help. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is the same for, that's the same for moms. Like moms have tantrums too. Um, (laughs) But if we can be the adult, if we can be the Mm -hmm. adult and recognize that the kid is, the tantrum is not a reflection on us. Like you said, Aubrey, it's not something to take personally. They are having a hard time. We may be more or less equipped to help them in that moment. I mean, I have times when I'm very attentive and loving and can, see a tantrum all the way through and really support them. And I have other times where I'm like, well, you just need to cry because we got to get somewhere. So. <laughs> I got to step <laughs> away from this right now. Right. But in, e- in either case, it's not about it's not about me. It's not a reflection on me yeah. and my parenting. It's just what they it's it's their job. Yeah, totally. I, I love that. I cannot agree more. I feel like there's nothing we can do that's more important than validating our kids and even in those hard moments, we are still that one person there to validate them. And so however we can muster up the strength to try and see it from their perspective, I feel is it's yeah. so and important. I, a, I love that. I think a lot of people t- misunderstand what you just said and think it means we can let them do whatever they want or get away with anything. Um, right. And I think that's We're validating where the, their emotions, not their behavior. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Distinction. Right. And th- yeah, I think that's where that distinction helps um because even in even in the midst of a tantrum you can have a tantrum and yell unkind words I mean a four or Mm -hmm. five year old might say they hate you and you're the worst mom and that might be a limit that you want to address I have sometimes just not even it's not even a battle I've been willing to fight in the (laughs) in the minute but you might say you know you can be really mad but we don't say things like that so I need to you know you need to limit that behavior so it's I think that distinction is helpful no matter what the situation Love that. What was your funny story you were going to share? 
Oh, oh, just that um, I have a very loud and very emotional third child who has had, you know, tantrums from the beginning. And I've gotten much better about, you know, not taking them personally. But I always think about my neighbors because the houses are pretty close. <laughs> the houses are pretty close together where I live and she is loud. And I've always thought to myself, OK, I think if it were me and I only heard a kid screaming like this, I would probably not be as concerned as if I also heard grownups yelling. Do you know what I mean? Like if I were the neighbor and I heard this family where everyone was screaming all the time at each other, parents at each other, parents at kids, I might Mm. think, gosh, I hope everything's okay over there. And so I tell myself, my rationalization is, the only one they ever hear screaming is her. I, my voice is calm. My voice, I'm not yelling back. I'm not raising my voice. So therefore, I think probably they won't call Child Protective Services. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, man, I love that. Um, great advice. Oh, man, I'm like, I'm writing this down in my head. I'm going to go back and listen to this a few times. I know. <laughs> Seriously. Um, the overwhelming response that we got on the topic of toddler behavior was actually more in regards to the moms feeling guilty about their behavior. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. what we've said really can tie into this, but feeling guilty when they completely lose their cool and yeah. feeling like they're just a terrible mother. And it really is a tough situation when you've done that. And then you realize, OK, like I really did lose my cool. So, yeah, I mean, what advice do you I mean? Well, that she said, you know, moms can have t- temper tantrums yes. too. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. even hearing that, I'm like, okay, I'm I'm gonna be just fine. <laughs> yeah. It was it was a little temper tantrum, and I'm good. Like, I don't well, know. Think about what we're what we're modeling for our kids, right? Like, we are also showing our kids that we have real emotions, but also that real emotions aren't scary, and that if we if we have lost our cool, if we've hurt somebody's feelings, or you know, said something we didn't mean to, that there's a way to make reparations from that. So I think it's a great thing for kids to hear us say, wow, mommy was really, really mad. And I yelled, I need to take Mm -hmm. a break for a couple minutes. And then we can talk more about this. Or you don't even say any of that if they're really, really little. Um, But they see you they see you regain composure. They see you try again and, Mm -hmm. you know, and try your best. So all of that I think is okay. I also think that this is a big argument for just regular self-care. I mean, I Mm -hmm. think our, when our, when we're taking care of ourselves in a proactive way and getting a break, if we're the primary at-home parent for our kids, making sure that we're getting a break, that we're getting rest wherever and however possible Um, that we're talking to somebody we trust, whether it's, you know, whoever it is, um, proactively, not waiting, excuse me, until we've had the tantrum, but proactively, then I think you notice those, those meltdowns are fewer and farther between. Um, But everybody has them. And if anybody tells you that they haven't ever freaked out at their kids and yelled and um, then they just haven't yet, or they're lying. Um, our very first episode of the mom hour was about that. Like literally mm-hmm. episode one was about really? what to do. And mm-hmm, when we, when we lose our cool with our kids. Um, and we talked about, we talked about apologizing to our kids, especially the older ones, um, and helping them see just what grownups do, what grownups do when they lose their cool and how they make it better if they've hurt somebody. So yeah. I love that. And normalizing that that's, I mean, it's not okay, but it's also common and it's okay to it's human. show it. Yes. Yeah. It's human. It's human. Um, and it, it's, yeah. Okay. Is maybe not the right word, but it's human to right. mess up and it's human to accidentally hurt people. And it's human to lose control or feel like you're losing control. And exactly. so for our kids to see that, um, and if it's happening so consistently that you just feel out of control all the time, I'm going to go back to what I said about, you know, getting getting help with when you're feeling that out of control, getting help in some way because there is help. Out totally, there. totally. Well, I, I feel like it is. I mean, we can kind of eliminate that mom guilt over if you have if you have lost your cool and then you handled it well and you apologize to them. You don't I don't feel like you need to feel guilty if you handled it correctly, because like you said, you are you're teaching them, mm-hmm. you're teaching them how mm-hmm. to handle it when they lose their cool too and that's mm-hmm. the only way they'll ever learn is is right. watching you <laughs> sometimes they have to learn the hard way you know right totally. right well, that's that. awesome. anything else that you freaked out about in the toddler years that you wish you wouldn't have 
You know, um, I do want to recommend my favorite resource for toddler parenting, and that is um, Dr. Laura Markham, who has a site called ahaparenting.com. I'm not, like, affiliated with her in any way. She has no idea who I am, but I've just mentioned her a million times on our <laughs> podcast. Um, and, and there's other writers out there, but I think I think toddlers are are really, really hard. <laughs> and for me, as someone who likes information um, and kind of understanding how they're how, – how things work and all that they're doing developmentally. They've got so much. It really helps me adjust my expectations to really what, what is a two and a half year old really capable of? They're not capable of sharing. They're not capable of reciprocal relationships. We have all these adult expectations on what a two and a half year old should be able to do. Um, And not only are they often too high, it's sometimes damaging because then we're getting into power struggles over something that a kid is not capable of doing. It would be like yelling at your six-month-old for peeing in their diaper. Like, you just can't, like, it's yeah. not It's not something you could expect of them. And so, yeah, I mean, I would recommend that resource, um, I think, as kind of a final thought on toddlers. Awesome. Thank you so much. That's so good. Just so, so good. <laughs> We are so excited to welcome our sponsor for this episode, Lucky and Me. Lucky and Me is an adorable online children's shop that focuses on children's underwear products. They're super soft fabric blends, several products featuring 100% organic cotton. They're perfect for sensitive skin, which is huge for my little kids. The quality design and the fit that can stand up to all day play, which is a must. And they always have tagless. There's never a tag on them and they're machine washable. We've been living in these because my little boy just recently got potty trained. He absolutely loves these underwear products. And as I've compared them to the underwear that we've bought at other places, just like your typical store, um, they are so much softer. Like we said, no tag. And, and they're the, cute. Yes. So cute. The quality just can't be beat. And the, the colors are adorable. They have a huge variety of colors to pick from. I love that. So you can find them at luckyandme.com. And they have been so generous and given us a code for our listeners. So you're going to get 25% off your entire order with free shipping over $35 with code MAMAHOOD25. That is MAMAHOOD25 at LuckyAndMe.com. Okay, back to the show. Um, so our last topic we were going to hit on is screen time. And so, so many moms ask questions along the lines of how much is really too much? Or I'm worried I'm not finding the right balance. Or how do I get my kids to want to do other activities? So, th- I mean, and this is such a loaded topic, I feel, yeah, especially right now. But what are your thoughts on screen time? Um, I mean, there's so many studies out there that make me terrified of any screen time at all. And then there are things right. out there that make me feel like it's a good resource. So, so what are your thoughts on right. this? Hmm. Okay. Yeah. This is like so, so big and it changes over time, right? Like uh-huh. I think when I was a mom of really little kids, what I, what I tried to do was have, um, you, the use of screens be something that aided me as a mom in doing the things that the other things that I thought were important to our family. So Mm -hmm. for example, if I decided to put on a 30 minute show every day so that I could cook dinner because being together as a family at dinner time was something that was of value to me. I was using the screen time as a way to kind of create this family rhythm and family values that were important to me. Um, what I tried, what I tried to avoid, and and this is just what I what I tried to do. It's not that I was perfect at it. I tried to steer away from habits where handing over a screen or a tablet was my first response to any discomfort in a kid. So what I mean by that is like, Mm. you're waiting in the waiting room, you're in traffic. Um, I tried to reserve screens to where, to kind of the dire circumstances or to things that were kind of a planned part of our rhythm, like the dinner making example. Um, Mm -hmm. I think I, I don't, I don't think screens are bad. I I wasn't totally screen free with any of my kids. Um, but I think I tried to see it kind of holistically in 
Like what, why am I, why do I need the kids on the iPad right now? Is it because I have a work call and this is, this is like a planned part of the day and we know this is where I'm going to use screens for this and that's what we're going to do. In which case I don't feel guilty about it. Like that's just, it is a tool that I have to get through this day that I have. I mean, we abundantly use screens for things like travel when kids were homesick and all of that. And I, I did with, withhold. I was a little bit more on the conservative side on a daily basis because I really wanted, I wanted it to be a little bit special so that it could work for me when I decided it was time to hand over an iPad. So that's, yeah, that's kind of one thought. Again, I come down to like, I want moms to feel fulfilled and mentally strong and healthy as much as possible so if some screen time allows you to do your hair and take your shower, then that may be the best screen time well spent that day. Um, so if we're passively handing over a device anytime that a kid is feeling squirrely, I think that's where I would I would look at like, huh, maybe maybe there's something we can do so that this kid gets more time running around outside or that we I know a lot of families struggle with kind of being inconsistent about screens. And that's where I think like routines and traditions and rituals are your friends. So I can say like my kids beg to watch a show. I can say, no, we don't watch shows on the weekdays, but you know, you have a Friday night movie to look forward to, or, you know, we're going to have a long drive to grandma and grandpa's this weekend and you can do all the iPad you want. So like almost having like the when when kids can come to expect it built in, that takes a while. You're not going to do that right out of the gate. But I do find that it helps when you have this, like, how much is too much? Or am I like one week we were all over the place and the next week we cracked down. And so anytime for me, my kids know what to expect um, and I know what to expect, then I can feel really good saying no when it's time to say no. And I can feel zero guilt having screens when I've decided you know, that's how. But you know what? I, as I hear myself talk, I'm hearing like Megan, my co-host, who is totally not this way. Like she doesn't think like, OK, what's the structure I'm going to put in place around this, which is right. totally how my brain works. So if there's moms out there that are more like Megan, that's totally OK, too. Like you can also yeah. go by gut and intuition and feeling. Um, and then a final a, a final thought on screens is we make it sound like all screens are created equal. Um, and as my kids get older, I've just seen so much really cool opportunities around watching stuff together as a family. Right. We watch, we watch shows together as a family now, like amazing race or yes. master chef junior. Um, there are games now, iPad and computer games that my kids are playing where they're coding and like creating, creating art and stuff like that. So I think when kids are really tiny, obviously the screen is mostly like a babysitter. So I would, right. you, you want to make sure that the content is safe and you probably want to limit consumption to, as much as you can, given your circumstances. But then once kids are getting a little bit older, you know, I think there's some really cool ways to think about technology that is not a, not just, you know, I need to make dinner. So here's your electronic babysitter. But like now I'm in this phase where I want to I want to be proactively choosing cool technology and cool screen time stuff that my kids can do. Um, and then, you know, sometimes they right. just play Minecraft and zone out too. That's okay too. Um, but I think mm-hmm. it's, it's ongoing. Um, I have another great book to recommend and I would say this is for like elementary school and up, but it's still awesome. And it's called Screenwise. Um, you guys can link it up. It's by mm-hmm. an author named Devora Heitner. We also had her on our show and she just has such a positive outlook about, um, about kids and technology that's not fear-based and much more about as parents, how can we like mentor our kids because it's not going away. Like, even if you're totally screen free, the world is not going to change. So we are raising these digital natives who will know how to work stuff mm-hmm. better than we do by the time they're in middle school. So um, rather than being fearful about it, um, this book screen wise, I think is a really positive as it takes a really positive look at that and how we can, you know, maybe even expose yeah. them to screens even earlier than we thought, but do it with them, do it together and with an eye toward kind of mentoring them instead of just always being about, I got to protect this and block this and, you know, parent password protect this. And there's there's a time and place for that, too. But um, a lot of it is about doing it with them and experiencing it with them. I love that, too, because then it's like having your screen be your, not being the slave to your screen, but having yeah. this the screen be the slave to you. You know, you don't yeah. want it. You don't want to, you don't want to be a slave to it all. Yeah, totally. But have it work for you. 
Totally. Love that. Yeah, I think if I were to summarize up everything you said, it would just to be really intentional about screen time. Like there, there is an intent, whether it's to help benefit you to be a better mom or whether it's to benefit your children so that they can consume something that's actually worthwhile. Yeah. I, I just feel like if, you, if you're intentional about it, then you don't need to feel bad about it. And also, let's say this, if you are in a season of life where the only way to get through the day is to hand your phone to the car seat in the back seat, that season will end. And you don't need to feel guilty about that right. either. Most likely, if you're listening to this podcast and wanting to be a better <laughs> mom, you're already you're already doing it. Just by worrying about it, you're doing it. And there are seasons of life where you're going to lean really heavily on screens. And for most of us, it's a season of a new baby or a move or a husband who's traveling all the time. It's not, it's not going to last forever. So we're not, we're not always the mom we want to be in all areas all the time. Right. Duh. So if you, I just, I think yes, be intentional. And I, this is an area where I think I was particularly conservative and intentional. So I hope it doesn't come across as like, that's the only way to be. Cause if you're in the season of life where everyone is on an iPad all the time, I, I have no judgment about that because I know you're doing the best you can right. and, and that it's not going to last forever. Perfect. Totally. <laughs> totally true. <Yay. laughs> I have a new baby, so I can resonate with this right now. Yeah. yeah. I um, love that. Well, before we end, let's chat about mom guilt in general because that's just it. We feel so worried about the decisions we make for our children constantly. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like in a world where everything is posted, Every opinion is online for everyone to see. We we see the good, bad, and the ugly, and the bad things that happen to kids because of uh, something a parent decided to do more often than we would if we weren't in this in this world where where technology really is so rampant. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> but um, it causes us to overanalyze and stress out a lot more than I think moms of the past did. Yes. Yes, I do. I think I think there's two sides to it. I do think we also have more opportunity to get information and connect with people because of technology and social media. But then the, the darker flip side is comparison and worry and guilt. And I think, um, gosh, I think the sooner that we can become better curators of the media that we're consuming, like, I mean, it sounds so simple, but Megan and I always say if there's if it if there's a if you're scrolling past something regularly that makes you feel bad about yourself, you you can opt out of that. You can unfollow. You can get out of that entire platform or that entire Facebook group or that entire online community. And sometimes what happens, I think, is we don't even realize that we have that low level guilt or anxiety or just that yucky feeling of looking at this one person's Instagram feed. So it is, I think, important to kind of pay attention to the way we feel when we consume different kinds of media. And this is not to say like Instagram's bad or Facebook groups are bad because there are others that can totally lift us up. But again, when it when it comes to modeling for our kids, I think what we want our kids to do when they get online is to make good choices about who they interact with and what kind of content they consume. And that starts with us. So it's not the only answer to losing mom guilt, but like you said, it's so rampant that I think it's a big, I think it's a big part of it. Yeah, it is. Um, And I mean, how can we feel more confident as moms and how can we experience less guilt? Um, What have you learned? I mean, you're more seasoned than us. And what have you learned about feeling more confident in your decisions and just freaking out less. I mean, maybe you do still freak out just as much. I don't know. I just want to hear where you're at since you're 10 years ahead of us, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think time, time does really help. I think when you start to, like we started this episode talking about the things we shouldn't have freaked out about series, you guys, even as young as your kids are, you guys have things that you now can look back and say, oh my gosh, I I thought that was the end of the world and it turned out okay. Um, Megan shared in one of our New Year episodes that she had a yoga teacher who like put them through this like super intense series of poses and they had to hold it forever. And then at the end, the teacher was like, well, that was hard, but we're okay. And we laughed and we thought like, the more you can have that moment where you say, holy moly, like, I can't believe we got through that. I can't believe I survived two babies under, you know, Irish twins for the first two years. And so time does help. You realize that you are 
capable and resilient, you also realize that you're not going to break or mess up your kids with every decision that you make. And some of that just takes time. I always recommend that moms, if possible, surround themselves with moms in different stages, that you're hanging out virtually online or in person with more seasoned moms whenever possible, because you see it play out. You see that their confident Mm -hmm. second grader was once like a total basket case who got in trouble at preschool every day. And it's, (laughs) it's not like... I mean, in that scenario, it's not a guarantee that your basket case preschooler is also going to be a confident second grader. The, the through line isn't that literal. But, but the it gives more you we, hope. But you, it does give you hope. And it, it, it allows you to see that that mom came through the other side of that. And you can say, like, oh, my gosh, like, you know, you're here. You're still standing. So the more we can surround ourselves with stories of, stories and real-life examples, I think, of of moms doing the best and things turning out okay, I think really does really does help. I think it's great for new moms to come together and form a tribe, but it, it can become a little bit of an echo chamber when everybody's overanalyzing, everybody's comparing, and everybody's worrying. So I don't know if there's a magic answer for losing the guilt and you know being more confident in our decisions, but for sure when we surround ourselves, um, and, and I think that includes surrounding yourself with people who are not in the motherhood game, right? Like that's the other thing that if you have set aside all hobbies and all pursuits and all relationships that don't relate to raising your kids, it can get pretty lonely and also boring because you're, you're now only talking about babies and diapers. And so there's solidarity in that. Yes. But there's also the risk that um, it, it becomes a little like self-fulfilling because now you just want to read about potty training because you've only talked about potty training today and you forget that like once you had a whole life that didn't revolve around potty training. So I think that's another another way to sort of um, uh, like reduce the perceived importance of every decision is to make sure that you still have things in your life that are challenging and interesting outside of motherhood. I love that. That's so true. And I think having that example, like I, at first, I mean, I think almost every mom just kind of gets thrown into it, kind of like, here we go, you know, (laughs) they don't know everything. And I think having friends and even not just that, but who we're following, who we look up to, just having that as examples of like, this isn't going to last forever, you know, like we're not going to be in the trenches forever and seeing that kind of glimpse of of what others have done or gone through and have succeeded in helps us to kind of get to those Mm -hmm. hard moments. Yeah. I mean, I, I get a lot out of following and talking to moms of teenagers and grown kids. And it, it, I can, Mm -hmm. it makes me appreciate why people listen to our show who have kids quite a bit younger because I do the same thing. Only I'm, I'm following people whose kids are getting ready to leave the house or who are in the intense years of high school, you know, so it never really Mm -hmm. stops. Yeah. In other words, listen to our podcast if you want moms, <laughs> if you want solidarity in the trenches and go listen to the mom hour to feel better about the future. I think that's a, I yeah. think that's a good plan. I mean, we, we, it used to surprise us when people would say, I'm just pregnant with my first child. I'm listening to your every episode. And we're like, really? Like, but um, I get it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's a wanting a peek into what's ahead and also... Like Megan and I are the living examples that you will survive eight kids. That you've survived. That we've survived. <laughs> and, you know, um, yeah. So, yeah, I think that's a good point. Honestly, plan, it's, I love listening to Megan talk about um, her teen kids. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm so far away from that, but it is so, I love listening to it. I don't know. It just, in a way, it almost removes me from what's going on in my little world, in my little circle for just long enough that, it really, it kind of does remove the stress of it, of what's going on, because I'm just focusing so hard on what someone else's situation is, and mm-hmm. it's so different from mine, and um, there really is something to be said about <laughs> about that, for yeah. sure. No, I totally agree, and, I, and I'm and i the same. I mean, my kids aren't there yet, and I always love hearing her talk about her teenagers. I love that. That's awesome. So we will just do a little lightning round, ask some questions that we like to ask Every episode. Sometimes we ask ourselves. Sometimes we ask yeah. our guests. Um, but what's a mom win that you had this week? Something great or successful that really worked for you? Doesn't have okay. to be this, well, this week. I'll give an example from of. older kid life since that's what you guys are not experiencing. Um, 
So my right. kids all, uh, two, my older two take piano lessons and I'm pretty hands off about practicing. Um, I sort of suggest it and I let their teachers know that they have every opportunity to practice, but I don't have a practicing rule at home because I, I don't need one more thing to police. And so as such, my kids don't improve quite as fast as some kids whose parents make them practice. And they sometimes <laughs> kind of get busted by their teachers. But the cool thing is, eventually the recital comes close and I will see this thing kick in where they decide, they kind of realize like, if I don't practice every day, I am not going to be ready for the recital or I'm going to let my teacher down or whatever. It just, this internal motivation kicks in. And for me, when you have elementary school age parent or kids, there's a lot that they can do on their own, but there's also a lot of reminding. You're reminding about the backpack and you're reminding about the homework and you're reminding. So I guess the mom win for me this week was seeing my oldest go from not practicing piano at all. I mean, throughout like her lessons, she'll sit down and she'll do stuff. And every week she improves a little to where we're like a week out from the recital. And she realized, she said, I'm going to practice twice a day for the next week. And she did. And her Mm -hmm. piano piece sounds so good. And it, for me, it's so much more (laughs) rewarding to see that than if I had put her on a schedule and a structure and said, you have to practice 20 minutes every night the piano piece would still sound good, but it wouldn't have come from her deciding she could do that. And then seeing her sit Mm -hmm. down twice a day for 15 or 20 minutes and struggle with this piece that will now sound really good and she'll feel super proud. And so that, that's, that is just a little example, but I see that kind of thing all the time with my kids because I have to let them, I have to let it be their idea. Otherwise it's just, Mm -hmm. you know, they're going to need me forever. Well, and let it be their struggle that they Mm -hmm. overcame. Mm -hmm. That's so and, so and if she had to practice and had failed easy. at the recital, that would be okay too. Like I, I have to be okay yeah. with like, if she hadn't gotten it together and she didn't do very well at the recital, I have to sit there at the recital and be okay. And I would be, I would be okay with that. I mean, I would be cringing a little bit and there would be other parents <laughs> judging me, but it would still have to be okay. You know, I think. Totally. I, I played the piano. And so it's so funny to be on the flip side of like, what the moms are thinking, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> from growing up because practicing is hard. And that, is. I just think I love that. I think that's well, and the other side is I really want my, I want my kids to take piano. And so I, that's, my, that was the other part of my decision is I was afraid that if I pushed too hard on practicing, they would hate it and they'd quit. So part of it is actually totally. because I love the fact that they're in piano lessons that I don't push so hard on the practice. I'd rather they play for a few years and maybe not get as good, but have that foundation and push them so hard that they quit after a year. But it's, you never know. For I don't sure. know if that's the right decision. No idea. <laughs> I love that though. Cause you're get, you're allowing them to learn to love it on their own without being forced. That's awesome. Well, we'll, we'll go with that. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sarah, last question. So what is something you do as self-care every day? You know, I'm going to say I put myself to bed as soon as I get tired and that is sleep mm. now that I can get it is an incredible form of self-care. And the flip side of that is I get up every morning really early and I read before the kids get up. Now, I have heard that that was a good strategy for having me time for 10 years, 11 years. I didn't start doing that, just so you guys, just so we're being honest. I didn't start actually getting up before my kids until about three, two or three years ago. So like eight years into parenting, I knew that's, that was a good idea. That's helpful I knew to it hear. was your time that you could have your <laughs> yeah. coffee and make your list and read. And I knew that there were moms out there doing it. And actually, and I'm a morning person, actually. I don't have a hard time getting up in the morning. But when you've yeah. been up 50 times in the night, nobody's a morning person. Like no one wants to get up right? at 5.30. So, <laughs> it's just like one long day when you've got little is, tiny. It is, exactly. So I'm, I'm saying that that's a form of self-care for me now, which is to go to bed early. And I do love to go to bed like indulgently early. I'll go to bed at like 8.30 or 9 sometimes. Like I, I'm like a big that fan of nice. sleep. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, then I do awesome. get up early and I read in the mornings when I have my coffee and I usually read but sometimes I might look at my list for the day or journal or something and but that took a long time that took seven or eight years into parenting where that was feasible for me okay <laughs> follow-up question what are you <laughs> I know right what are you reading right now um I just finished a book called I Miss You When I Blink, which is a, a book of essays by Mary Laura Philippot, I think is how you say her last name. Um, I was oh, seeing cool. the book come up in a lot by a lot of writers that I follow. Um, and so I just finished that this morning and we can link to it. It is it's not directly about motherhood, but she is a mother and it's a it's a really 
uh, digestible read because the essays are short. So if you're like in short attention span, yes, land, that would be um, <laughs> that is a great one. So I'll I'll give that cool. to you guys. You can link it up. Cool. Well, I love how you say um, it took a long time to get there because we set all these goals and we hear all these people doing all of these things, and then I will just sit there and say, I cannot. I can't. How right. are they doing it? And it. I just, Aaron's over here making pancakes at 1230 a.m. <laughs> last night. I know my two-year-old is up in the night asking for pancakes. Oh my She's such a nice mom whipping up like gourmet breakfast at 1 a.m. Oh my God. I'm like, mm. I can barely provide for my three kids and get in the shower every day. That's why so just how are long people day. getting up so early? But I just, if there's anything I want our our moms to get out of this episode, it's just... What you just said that it takes a long time. Just give yeah. yourself and there's give seasons. yourself time. Yeah. yeah. For for things to to work out the way I mean, just give things time to work out. I, I feel agree. and a lot and embrace Megan sometimes yeah. yeah, Megan still sometimes says that to me cuz I will say something like, "Oh my gosh, my big kids don't do enough chores or like I haven't figured out like mm-hmm. allowances yet. And Megan will be like, eh, you got time. Like, and so I need to hear it too. You know, I think, Oh, oh no. Like, that. yeah. Yeah. We're good. We got this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love her perspectives on that too. Yeah. Um, well, you are, you're, so, I mean, seriously, Can you come I'm, on every single week and do a segment. We're taking out. notes, <laughs> taking notes for ourselves of everything you've said. <laughs> You've been amazing. Oh, um, thank you. Well, tell our our listeners where they can find you. Obviously, the Mom Hour podcast, but where else? Yeah, so the Mom Hour is available wherever you get your podcasts. I think that is the best way to get to know us. If you go to themomhour.com, um, we have a page for new listeners that just says new start here. And that is a great entry point into our podcast if you're looking for a particular age or stage. Um, and then we're, we're on social media everywhere at the mom hour. So I would say we're most active on Instagram. Um, and we love hearing from new listeners. So if you found us through the mama hood, um, you know, send us an email or leave us a comment and let us know that's how you came to our show. Cause we love hearing that as well. So yeah, we're just, we're pretty easy to find. We're just, and that's kind of, that's our main thing. That's what we do. So we're just the mom hour. Perfect. We love you guys. We are we look up to you guys and all your advice. We're just soaking in. So thank you so so much. Well, thank yeah. you for having Thanks me. Thanks for coming on this show, Sarah. <laughs> we hope that you enjoyed this episode today. If you did, would you scroll down and do us a favor and leave us a quick review? It helps us to connect with more mamas like you. Also, feel free to come and join us on Instagram at the.mamahood or email us at themamahoodpodcast at gmail.com. And as always, just let us know what you think. We love you. We're so grateful for your friendship. We hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. This has been so fun for us. And we will talk to you soon. Bye.